The subject for the evening talk is dealing with stress. <coughs> um, it seems to me in <coughs> being engaged in this kind of work, both uh, here in the States and elsewhere, there is not only a common report of the experience of stress. But if I look and think in very general terms, I would say that people's experience of stress over the years, it seems to me, seems to be increasing. And, and that it's becoming more and more of a, a prevalent issue, as a social issue, a social problem, which a wide variety of people, from quite young people, children, right through to uh, adults and late age in life, who keep reporting to me and to others again and again the issue of stress in life. And it seems that there are a whole variety of contributing factors which easily make for stress. And some of these factors are the externalized ones of the uh, demands and requests and expectations which have been and are placed on us. To quite some degree, I think we have internalized some of these. We then place them in turn upon ourselves and we form <coughs> a recipe for living and leading a, a stressful kind of existence. And I think in looking at stress that since it's something to do with a codependent situation, meaning outer factors and inner relationship to those outer factors that the exploration has to embrace, in a way, the outer and the inner. When, it, when we don't embrace and explore the outer and the inner, I think the probable tendency of us is to point the blame specifically in one direction or the other. In other words, the accusing finger, as it were, inside of ourselves say, well, if it wasn't for the timetable, if it wasn't for this work, if it wasn't for this, these uh, pressures which are placed upon me, I wouldn't feel like this. Or the tendency is to point the accusing finger inwardly and say, well, it's obviously me, I can't cope, I can't deal with these situations, I'm not ready, I'm not good enough, etc., etc. So in looking at the phenomenon of stress in our life and what that means, I think it's a consideration outwardly and inwardly. In that, when we look firstly at the outer situation and then explore uh, the inner situation, with the outer situation, it's not easy to cope with 
at the very bare level of things, we might say, yes, what's occurring is simply a sight and a sound and an event which is taking place around me, that information, that sense data is coming to me, it's coming into me and I'm experiencing it. But what very easily occurs is we take it on board. And I think in the society that we live in, there is remarkable amount of pressure and one of the most common forms of pressure that we experience and stress producing is in the form of desire and particularly the desire to succeed, the desire to do something well. I think in, in, in when we look at stress and if we start, if we look at stress as the effect of circumstances, what are some of the circumstances which occur? Outer and inner, and one of them at the outer is the pressure and expectations and timetables, and one of the factors of the inner is the desire to succeed. And this desire to succeed in whatever the undertaking is, sometimes is out of tune with wisdom out of tune, out of harmony with where we actually are in our life. And we see the countless consequences of stress. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, personally, in our relationships, in our viewing of the world, in the impact on the world itself. So I regard these days as stress, as a very severe and serious social problem. And in that, I think in our responsibilities and in our awarenesses in this area for people, and quite as it will be for quite a number of you who are here, who are in positions of responsibility, who direct and influence other people's lives, who are concerned with schedules and timetables, one of the things that we have to ask ourselves is, do I, in my particular role and function in life, place pressure on other people to do something or succeed in something which may not be considerate of where he or she or they are. Am I a codependent factor? Am I a contributor to stress in people's lives through the pressure that I exert on people? Because it's a social problem, it's a codependent problem and it takes some reflection and work and looking how we might be generating that outwardly. Education is a prime example today of pressure. Pressure on young people, on young children. 
just for example, in, uh, in England at the present time, they're just passing some new education laws under the present uh, government, and children at the age of 7, 9, 11 and 14 will be obliged by law to take examinations. Children of, I have a daughter, seven years old, children of seven years of age, so that they can measure, they claim, where a child is at, and therefore what class a child is suitable to go in. And when one of the people, the education spokespersons, was asked, well, couldn't this be damaging for such young children to be judged and examined at such a tender age in which there could easily be bring fear and stress and ambition for the successful and feelings of failure for those who don't pass their examinations and the education person's response to that, and I heard it myself, was, well, they have to learn failure at some time. So in, in childhood, in, 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 in the beginnings of, of life, we ourselves here and others are being, I think, unfairly and insensitively treated and it can easily for us set patterns in our life of feelings of failure, lack of self-worth, easily brings out of us this desire or compensation to want to succeed in life in order that one feels successful, to feel good as a reaction against not feeling good. And this is a strong pressure. So I think it's important for us with stress and exploration of this, do we contribute to this in the lives of other people? Do other people contribute to this in the lives of ourselves? And I think there's a lot of exploration and discussion and reorganization and rethinking which is taking place but it needs to take place much further in our life. When we come into a situation like this, it could be very easily, for those of you who are here for the first time on a, on, in a setting uh, like this, sometimes they call it a retreat, sometimes they call it an advance, or even a stagnation, it doesn't matter really. And one comes into a situation um, uh, like this, and one has the timetable, one has the kind of general forms for the day, it could be interpreted very understandably as a pressure. And when we experience something as a pressure, even it might be quite subtle or it might be quite gross, it, one might consider this as a fairly liberal uh, regime, or one might think it's a very tight one. But when there is pressure, it affects our way of being and what we do. And 
possibly, and for many, not always, but for many, the concept of pressure, and the idea of pressure, will be probably mostly associated with being in here. This is the pressure cooker situation. The end of the sitting is liberation. <laughs> and after that one, like the Buddha under the Bodhi tree, walked off into the sunset for 45 minutes until the bell goes again. This is then a reminder of the pressure cooker. So one intentionally, to avoid the stress of having to be here, hangs around, very understandable, outside to the last possible moment so that one can just come in here quietly in the, in the moment of 6.30 in the morning or at uh, 6 in the evening or whatever that last moment is and then have to endure and it can be like that sitting with oneself and the moment the bell or the gong is heard at the end of the sitting immense relief the waiting and the endurance and the agony of it all is over and then a 45-minute liberation, and then back again. One could view it like that. So it's not surprising people report in the small groups, well, I'm back here at IMS to sit again. It's like everything else is a kind of uh, recovery period. <laughs> and the, only tangible memory that one has of this place is sitting and the good food and <laughs> the kind of the uh, peak of pleasure and pain <laughs> and the, the rest is well recovering from both in a way <laughs> so in situations like this can we view and explore other ways of looking at a situation. If you have noticed just today and in other days the experience, understandable, of resistance to being in the meditation hall, to walking in here, to having to, having to sit once again in here. That resistance and that tension as I say, understandable and, and so forth, but that resistance and tension, when ignored, when not looked at and explored, is part of the recipe for the stress. So that may be happening for you if you work as a therapist, as some of you do, and you have another client, you work in the schools, you've got some further studies to do, you've got to go to the office, to the factory, to the doll queue, whatever it might be, in that, if you're regarding that as an area of resistance for yourself, in that resistance, pressure, pain, confusion, anxiety, burnout, stress, 
is there because there is there's a desire to succeed to uh, the the will of having to do it there is resistance going on and one's internally bringing the conditions of stress to bear the, which is the fruit in a way of not knowing or not exploring these difficult intentions and desires. So in that respect, being outside of the meditation hall and what's actually going on out there for you before you come in here is equally as important. Can we catch the resistance? Can we feel that inside the body? Can we, when we're out there, just relax through that? Can we stop for a moment and just check in with what's going on inside of ourselves? So they get used a little bit more to this settling into the rhythm of what's going on with us in the moment. Another example of the day I mismentioned is the, the food time. And sometimes the what was it Maslow would say, peak experience, peak experiences of IMS, uh, 7.30, 12.30, and 5.30, and 9.30, even more, 9.35 when it's time to sleep. And the mealtime is there. And then one has a generalized perception. Ah, oh, 60 people come on a retreat together, the bell goes. Some people, the pressure is there, and part of the pressure is that underneath it, there is an anxiety. And this anxiety is, will there be enough for me? Who is at the back of the queue? So one goes to the queue and everybody else has galloped on the head <laughs> there. And you've been squatting on the toilet in the meantime, <laughs> preparing your stomach. <laughs> Only to find you right there at the end of the queue. And this can be terribly anxious period. And one is kind of standing there at the back, trying to look mindful. <laughs> and kind of bouncing up and down, trying to see into the pots <laughs> and what's left over. If anything, so far people over the years have all been fed. <laughs> but one is convinced that there will be a first time and you'll be the one. <laughs> so again, in a situation, something as ordinary as being at the end of the food line and our experience in that, how are we dealing with that? Are we contributing to a stress-producing situation? Because it seems to me that with stress, it's not something which is just in the moment, like in terms of a particular drama. Stress, it seems to me, is kind of almost sinisterly, sinisterly, what the word is, accumulatively. In other words, it takes place in a gradual way affecting the quality of life and our relationship to life and it just gradually accumulates 
with us barely knowing it. And when, it, when there's enough of that stress and enough of that resistance and enough of that tension which is accumulated, the effect of all of that then is burnout. Even when we are doing something very beautiful for the world, beautiful for other people, and something which most people would love and applaud. It still doesn't obviously guard us from stress and burnout. So it might be in our situation here that we might be able to use some of the situation here to really catch early as possible. Really catch the resistances, the holding or whatever. Some of you already know this only too well from your working experiences or from your personal life relationship experiences or from commitments and so forth which are coming up. So if that is the case and you know amongst the things which you're working to be liberated from here includes pressure and stress, it might be useful amidst the relaxations and the calmnesses which may come while you are here. Also, it might be useful to give a little bit of considered reflection, just to make a little bit of time and to actually ask oneself, if you know you experience stress, what actual changes can I implement into my daily life so that I don't live in the pain and in the shadow of stress. Stress doesn't go away, I would say, just on living on the pattern of the old. Stress is the effect of living in that way. If we wish to live stress-free lives, and we can live utterly, completely stress-free lives, it means that we need the wisdom and the reflection to see, well, what do I need to change? Sometimes that need to change is both, as I mentioned before, outer actualities and inner actualities. It's sometimes asking too much of ourselves to say, it's all inside of me, if I could just change my attitude, if I could just be relaxed, if I could, if I could, and then expect to be like that in a pressure cooker situation is asking too much. So I feel in this, it's again, to use the word again, a codependent situation frequently, how are we going to find the courage and the clarity and the determination inside of, with ourselves, not only to change the inner circumstances and look carefully at that, but to have the power and the courage to effect change outwardly, which sometimes means making it very clear, unequivocally clear, to certain people that one isn't going to live under stress that one is going to use one's authority as a human being at times when it's appropriate to say no. That isn't easy for us to do 
and it's much more difficult for ambitious people. So our inner circumstances and our outer circumstances, you know, the, the combination of those contribute to these stressful conditions. So widespread, I would say it's epidemic-like, that widespread situation. In our meditations, in our sittings, and in our uh, walkings, sometimes we experience the stress partly through the relationship to the present. Not easy sitting, it's not easy walking, there are many disciplines which have been asked of us, but also from the past. And when we're experiencing from the past or from the present, one of the ways that we notice, can notice that with ourselves, is what kind of sensations are we experiencing in the body. And the body is a very receptive instrument, remarkably subtle, and, and I think as human beings, I think we're quite deep down, we're very caring and loving and gentle creatures on the earth, and somehow or other, the very actuality of that means at times we experience this stress. Very, we're, we're very vulnerable in that respect. Sometimes we try to deny that. We try to appear very tough. We try to appear very strong. We put on a suit of armour to try to protect ourselves. And when we do that, there's always this huge chink in it. And some people in the world find the chink just like that, no problem. So when we are sitting sometimes, or when we are walking, the body awareness is a very significant element of picking up on the stress. How do we feel it? What, what shows that? Sometimes it's very apparent. One is experiencing pain in the back, between the shoulder blades and the back, feeling pressure on the back, heaviness on the back. It might be indicating something. It might be indicating quite a lot. One might ask oneself, what am I carrying on my back in this world? Sometimes we're sitting with the body and we're experiencing tightness in the body. We're feeling tight. And in our sitting or in our walking, we're sensing that in the way that the cells are kind of stuck together, so to speak, in different places. Without speculating, we might just explore that, those feelings and sensations, but we might also ask ourselves, what do I get uptight about? What makes me tighten up? So sometimes the body, I, th I think often, the body is something of a mirror. It's a reflection, a manifestation of much of what's going on inside of our life. I remember when uh, I was um, a monk, the um, t 
teacher, um, Ajahn Damodaro, who was uh, quite perceptive, I would say, in his uh, way of seeing people and what the body language was saying. And in the old texts in the, in the East, there's a book. It's called the um, Visuddhi Marga. It's, it literally means uh, the path of purification. And it was written by a Sri Lankan monk named Buddha Gosha in the, something like the 5th or 6th century. And in the Theravada tradition, it's regarded as being one of the main commentaries on uh, what the Buddha has uh, said. And not, and I should add here very uh, quickly, just because it's a commentary um, doesn't make it truth. And some of us have looked at this particular book and other books, and the view is, well, that's his opinion. So, so I just want to draw on two or three of his uh, um, views there. And um, in that, there is a description how with certain states of mind which we experience, sometimes the body language communicates that to us. Sometimes that can be seen in movement. So, sometimes speed of movement, not always, of course, and one has to be watchful here, not always, can, when we get caught up in it, show the force of desire and goal orientation. And in that speeding up which takes place, we might be out of touch with the movement because we're so preoccupied with the goal, we hardly know we've got a body that we're with. Sometimes we see, too, in our movement that the movement which is taking place, sitting, walking, ordinary activities, when there's a lot of movement in the body going on, it might be a moment of stopping and saying, what am I confused about? What am I agitated about? What am I restless about? So again, the body expression could be an immediate clue in to something else other than just the restlessness, just the movement of, of the body. Sometimes we see, too, when we are, say, feeling negative, angry or aggressive, the impact of that in the moment affects areas and parts of the body. Face muscles, eyes, contractions taking place, again and again, in which there's an image a thought about, a feeling about, it's affecting the cellular life and we're caught up in a negative mode. <coughs> and I remember with Ajahn Damodaro, he said that Westerners are the most easiest people to read in the world. And they would come into the uh, monastery and he had his uh, hut there and, and he would have a clear view from his hut of about 50 yards of the visitors coming to meet and talk with him. And I can remember a number of occasions sitting in the uh, hut 
uh, with him when I was a monk, seeing the Westerners arrive, and through the interpreter, he would give a very quick psychoanalysis of where this person was at before they'd said a word. Just the body language in the walking 50 yards from A to B for saying it all. And in, we don't have this tradition in, in the West, but in the best respects of Thai, Thai tradition in this case and some of the other Buddhist tr traditions, language of body and refinement and sensitivity and uh, respectfulness in movement is considered the mark of a mature and sensitive human being. So in the tradition of monks and nuns, one of the guidelines that we have to help us communicate this over, we weren't allowed to run. And that walking mindfully and consciously and sitting mindfully and con consciously showed in that moment a quality of being in a particular kind of way. And I think without making that a model or something to uh, uh, copy in any way, what comes over to me, what that communicates to me for us is that in some areas have a great deal of body awareness which is very lacking in Buddhism, I think particularly diet is pathetic in Buddhism and um, uh, exercise even more pathetic, the lack of awareness of this but in areas of posture and balance and uh, understanding of body and its relationship to heart, mind, thought, great deal of awareness and insight. So I think it's well worth our while in our time that we are here giving plenty of care and attention to body awareness. Where we see a repeated pattern, sometimes in the room, sometimes in the hall, sometimes in the walking, or whatever it is, a repeated pattern about the form, the posture that the body habitually takes. Where we notice that, it might well be worth, without too much thinking about, what's that saying? What's that, what's that communicating in the moment? so that we're keeping in touch with, with ourselves as it happens. I think, so I think the body awareness can be a very resourceful tool. And the more contact with the body, and the more feeling with the body, the less pressure and the less stress we'll experience in life. Sometimes in this world that we live in, what brings stress for us is when there's a lot of demand upon us. Somebody says to you, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. You've got this to do, this to do, this to do. All this sort of thing. A lot of pressure being directed at us. Or someone is being very critical, judgmental, hostile, putting one down. Very easy to internalize all of this and use it as some kind of proof of one's worthlessness. 
One wasn't sure before, but having had heard all this, it's obviously true, they're right. I am, am worthless as a human being. No human being is worthless. And so easily we forget inwardly and outwardly. And one of the things which I think, I, certainly I have found very helpful, when there is aggression, when there is pressure, when there is aversion and hostility, which one is on the receiving end, I just find it very helpful just to come right back to the physical experience in that moment. What are the sensations taking place with the body while listening? And sometimes being more specific about that, in the listening, when under pressure or hostility, I just will do simple things like just turning the attention to sitting on that chair, on that meditation cushion, or whatever it might be, and just being with that sensation. That contributes, I find, to a, just a simple grounding, and keeping grounded while feedback is coming which seems to be harsh and unfair and hostile, or whatever it might be. Because when we get drawn out into the world of what other people are enforcing on us, I think in a way we are much more likely to feel stressed through being drawn out. So in our time and in our hours here, grounding with body awareness contributes to stability and freedom in, in life and a certain quality of independence that can accompany that. Just finally, just one or two uh, um, other areas here. With regard to the sitting periods, in the sitting it might well be that part of the way through the sitting there's some discomfort and then what arises in that is the waiting mind. Another big contribution to stress. Waiting and stress go together like wooden trees. And one is sitting and one's thinking is going, oh, how long do I have to put up with this? How long is it before the end? So here and now is completely gone to the woods and the waiting <coughs> mind cement-like has set in and all that one is interested in is the end of the period and that might mean right now the end of the talk. <laughs> <laughs> and then one, then one hears somebody laughing, what are they laughing, what was all that was about? I missed that joke, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> So sometimes there is this waiting for the end. In this waiting for the end, one of the things which adds to stress with that is when one is feeling, as some of you may well be, feeling quite tired, quite exhausted, you just want something to finish. 
So when the energy is low and the mind is waiting and can't wait for it to be over, all of that leaves its residue. That leaves its mark on us. And then not surprisingly people say, I've had such a stressed out day, it's been such a difficult day, I've put my head down at night, I can't sleep, I'm having fitful sleeping, I wake up in the morning, I'm half awake, I'm half asleep, I'm just waiting for the day to be over, oh my God, it's Monday morning already, and roll on 5.30 Friday evening for liberation, etc. Terrible imprisonment to be living in when Monday is considered hell and Friday is considered heaven. So, can we see perhaps Monday and Friday is sitting on the, on the meditation cushion? Can we see, can we pick up and notice when we are caught in the waiting mode? Can we view it differently? Sometimes it's not easy, sometimes we just know we're stuck in the waiting. At least to know that's what we're experiencing and being clear about it. So we see just finally some of the factors which contribute to stress the desire to succeed, the desire to please, the desire to get on and accomplish, the desire to get everything done in this world, trying to do everything which is asked and expected of us, unwillingness to find ways to change the circumstances which are around us, obedience to and conformity to these various expectations, being out of touch with the, with the body, being very goal-orientated, caught up in waiting, not giving oneself opportunity for energy and renewal to come back again. So it's just some of the factors which can contribute to stress. Sometimes just changing some of them and being really committed that to that, which may mean sacrificing some of one's ambitions in life, no matter how good they are, might be the key to freedom from stress. We don't have to live a stressful life. We don't have to live a life of pressure. We can pierce through this bubble does take reflection, it does take mindfulness, it does take a commitment to that. But it does take an awful lot of suffering out of life and it does liberate us into much more joy and lightness and, and goodwill and fun and, and spirit in life. May all beings see into stress. May all beings see into the alternatives. May all beings be happy.
let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we?